We're in the third week of the series uh, we've titled One Nation Under God. And I feel like over the past three weeks, I just keep wading into deeper and deeper water. And I like what's overhead. And I felt like maybe I should be wearing a life preserver this morning because we're heading into the deep end of the pool this morning. You know, three weeks ago, we looked at this idea that from Jesus that we are called to be peacemakers. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are the peacemakers before they are the children of God. And we can get on side of that, right? Because we hear that in our culture. Peace is what we're after. Peace is what we're after, right? Gracie Lou Freebush wanted world peace. So we can get behind world peace. But then last week we waited a little bit deeper and we talked about we're citizens of the United States of America and we're proud of that, but we're also proud and really governed by our citizenship in the kingdom of God. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God while at the same time being citizens of the United States. However, God's word directs us to act more like ambassadors, exiles, foreigners. This is not our homeland. So we are called to share the good news with this world and to act more like ambassadors than entitled citizens. And so this week we wade into the deep end as we start talking about what it means to be obedient citizens. You know, my wife went out of town yesterday and went down to Texas to visit our kids, and before she left, I was talking to her, and I said, so we're going to talk about obedience this weekend, and I feel like obey, you know, is, is, is treated by like a four-letter word. And she says, well, that's because it is a four-letter word. And I'm like, yeah, so you don't laugh, you encourage her. So I said, you know what I mean. It's like we look at that word like obey, and we get stiff-necked and stiff-backed, and we're like... We don't like it because if we talk about obedience, that means there's somebody in authority over us. And we don't like that at all because we live in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And so it can be kind of hard for us to submit to authority. You know, the definition of obedience is this. It says it is only being obeying and being obedient is listening to and submitting yourself to the authorities by someone who has asked or ordered you, someone who is an authority, that you listen to them and actually do what it is that they ask you to do or command you to do. And that's where we have the issue, is where we talk about commanding to obey. You know, has anybody ever taken a personality test? Anybody? I was a, my undergrad was psychology, and I loved taking personality tests. And I would take personality tests, and all of them would say, has trouble with authority, doesn't mind challenging authority. And I would tell my dad, and my dad said, you didn't have to take that test to tell you that. I could have told you that. You know, because as a kid growing up, I learned this technique called divide and conquer. And maybe kids in the room and... All of us at one time were kids, and maybe we, you employed this tactic, right? If you were in a two-parent household, both parents were in authority, but you learned if you watch closely, as good little children do, that which authority I needed to go to to get what I wanted, right? Because if I observed right, I understood which one I went to for what. And 
You know, rather than just this full frontal assault, like I would just go right at both of them, I learned what's called flanking maneuvers, right? Where you would sort of like get over to this side and say, Mom, to get what it is that you wanted, to reach your objective. When I was 16 years old, this was my objective, was my mom's new MG. And I found out that if I asked to drive that car and my dad was around, chances are the answer was no. And his response was, what's wrong with your car? Well, there's nothing wrong with my car, but it's not an MG. There's nothing wrong with your car. No, it's not your car. And so I learned that if I wanted to drive my mom's car, I had to wait for my dad to leave the house asked a question, and I had to wait for him to leave because he was upstairs, and I asked my mom downstairs. He had like this spidey sense. He had this like, he understood there was a disturbance in the force, and I would turn around, and there he'd be, and he's like, what's going on? <laughs> well, Tony wants to borrow the car, and he's like, no. So I waited for my dad to leave the house, and then I would ask my mom. You know, and as a 16-year-old boy, I didn't see anything wrong with that. I didn't see anything wrong with that. It was her car. She gave me permission. I had a license, so I got to drive it. But what I found out is that my dad would come home, he'd find the car gone, and he would get angry. Not at me, but at my mom. See, what my dad knew that my mom never knew was what it was like to be a 16-year-old boy. <laughs> and he knew this 16-year-old boy, and he knew how indestructible I thought I was. And he cared for this 16-year-old boy, and he didn't want to see me hurt myself or hurt somebody else. And so he ran a little bit rough on me at times, but for my good. See, parents, side note here, you need to work at maintaining a unified front because your children are always trying to outflank you. And if you together, together, present a unified front, you f they find it very difficult to get past you. But when you let down your guard, believe me, they're watching, and they know which one to ask. And it usually doesn't cause conflict between you and them. It's usually conflict between the both of you parents. And so for your sake, for their sake, maintain a unified front. Well, I digress. As I got older, as I became a dad, I learned that God has a sense of humor. You know, because when my parents prayed that I would have a child just like me, he gave me three. <laughs> and as a dad, I understand the value and the necessity for your children to be obedient. It's for their good. But if I'm honest, I would say if you're honest, as an adult, there's still that obstinate child that lives inside of you that is really good at flanking maneuvers, especially when your objective is straight in front of you, especially if you've endured a week of tweets and you're trying your best to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God and you found the perfect meme to share on Facebook. You quickly want to appeal to your right as the citizen of the United States of America because you have the right to do that.
And I want to kind of ignore this authority over here that says, yeah, not such a good idea. So I come over this side and say, but I have the right to do that. In fact, it feels really good when I do that. But then we're confronted with God's word on Sunday. And we are reminded that God's word tells us that we are, every person should be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. And Paul goes on to say, so honor those in authority. If you owe them respect, give them respect. If it's honor, give them honor. And that's hard. That's difficult. That's challenging. It's not as much fun. But it doesn't matter, Paul tells us, who's in authority, whose laws. They were put there by God. He says, obey them because it is for your good. Stop acting like a child is what Paul is saying. In fact, he says this to the church at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In your thinking, be adults. In your minds, be adults. Be mature. Stop acting like children. You once acted like that when you were a child, but now you're not a child. You know the truth. Stop acting like a child acting like you don't see me and that I don't see you. Be adults in your thinking. Be adults and a mature understanding of that informs us that we obey God. We're obedient to his laws, not to earn our citizenship, but in response to his love, in response to having been given citizenship in the kingdom of God having been declared through the love of Christ, children of God. That is why we obey his word. Not to earn his favor. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus. It's by grace you have been saved. Through faith, not by works. It is a gift so that no one can boast. You didn't do anything special to earn it. You were declared righteous. You were given faith because of what Jesus did, not because of who you are. So do not consider yourselves better than others. Do not consider yourselves better than that guy. You have the truth. You're mature in your faith. Stop thinking like children. Just because he did it. If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? No. Stop thinking like children. And realize, don't puff up with pride, because if it were not for Jesus Christ, we too would be ignorant of the truth. If, if it were not for the gift of faith, we too would be lost. Faith is a gift. Our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven is a gift. We respond as obedient children not to earn that favor, but in response to that favor. Likewise, 
You could say that about your citizenship in the United States of America. How many of you chose to be born here? We live in one of the greatest countries in the world. And you were born here, not because you chose to. And we live in the freedoms of this country. We live with rights and privileges here in this country because of what other people have done. The sacrifices of those that have gone before us have given their lives so that we could gather together freely this morning, so that we could respond, so that we could worship the one true God without fear of persecution. We have that right, we have that privilege. And did you know, just like, just like being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, do you know that no one can take your U.S. citizenship away from you? If you're a naturally born citizen, no one can revoke it from you. Did you know that? The only way that happens is if you voluntarily give it up. A couple of special circumstances. You could renounce your citizenship. And some people have done so because they don't agree with what the United States teaches. They don't agree. And I would say they've sort of taken for granted just how good life is here. In fact, the State Department warns you, if that's something that you consider, this is what they say, persons intending to renounce U.S. citizenship should be aware that unless they already possess a foreign nationality, they may be rendered stateless and thus lack the protection of any government. As citizens of the United States of America, we have protections. If you travel abroad, you're a U.S. citizen. You can go to any embassy and have protection there. You're on U.S. soil in foreign land because the United States of America gives you that protection. It protects its citizens. That's a privilege we have. But you can renounce it. And you can live stateless, but it's a dangerous way to live. You know there are almost 10 million people in the world today that are stateless through no fault of their own. No fault of their own left their country of natural origin, moved here to the United States, entered the country legally, are here legally, but through nothing they've done, the political climate in their country changes, governments change, and now what was their citizenship, now what was their country is no longer their country, their country doesn't recognize them anymore. Now they live here stateless, and they can't go back home, they have no state. They can't apply for citizenship because there's nowhere to apply from. They can't travel because they have no passport. They have no citizenship. In fact, I've read that you can't even, it's hard to travel between states without citizenship. It's hard to keep it. When's the last time you thought about traveling to another state and considered that a privilege? <laughs> no, you just get in your car, put gas in it, and drive. That's a privilege that some in this country don't have because they don't have a government. Oftentimes, we take this government, we take the privileges, we take the rights that we have here for granted. And we sort of puff ourselves up and think ourselves better than because we have citizenship in the United States of America and none of us chose to be born here. The same thing is true as citizens of the kingdom of God. We puff ourselves up and take for granted 
the rights and privileges that Jesus Christ himself earned for us. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we know that we did nothing. And so we obey both rulers, not to earn our citizenship, but in response to the love of Jesus Christ. Love stretched out his arms upon that cross and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cross testifies to the goodness and the greatness of God. The cross, the love of Christ beckons us, as the hymn writer says, to lay down my life, to give my all. It demands my love. It demands my life. Not to earn the love, but in response to that love, when you understand the sacrifice that Jesus paid, the lengths to which he went for you, you who were an enemy of his, you who were at odds with him, he died for you. Not because you were a citizen of the United States of America. Not because you were a righteous person, but because he is a righteous God. And when you can grasp that, when you truly pause for a second and understand that, you see that the cross, it demands your obedience. And we give it freely, willingly, because that's what love beckons us to do. And as mature believers in Jesus Christ, that's what we're called to do. But this is what causes us difficulties. This is what causes us to put conditions on our obedience, put conditions on our tongues. This is, causes us to put conditions on our obedience to the civil authorities, but I would say it also causes us to put conditions on our obedience to God. Because we look at this and we say, yeah, I don't agree with that. I, 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 I just cannot find my way to forgive what he said this week. I cannot find my way to, to, to honor that. I just can't. I can't. It doesn't feel right. And we come here on the weekends. We come here on the weekends and we pray out to God. And we listen to God's word. And God's word says, submit to government. Submit to its officers. They should be, we should be obedient, always ready to do what is good. Not slander, avoid quarreling. Instead, we should be gentle, showing humility to everyone. And we're reminded about how Jesus loves us and the price that he paid for us. And we're brought to our knees. And we pray, God, I cannot believe that you would die for me, for me, a sinner, that you would give your life for me. I, Lord, I will follow you anywhere. Show me, show me how I can worship you more fully. Show me how I can show you my love. And Jesus looks down and he says, don't slander, don't quarrel, be gentle, be humble. Okay, God, I don't think you heard me. I, I, I really want to pour my love out on you. 
right? I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know and experience this love that's welled up within me that you have created in me. I want you to know that I love you. And Jesus looks down and he says, love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. It's like, you're not hearing me, God. Do you hear what they're saying about you? Do you hear what they're saying about your church? Do you understand the hate? Do you understand they're rejecting you? I mean, I don't care about myself, God, but they're saying some pretty bad things about you. You cannot, I want to pour out my love on you, Jesus. You deserve it. You alone are good. You alone are great. I just want to pour my love out on you. Show me. Love your enemies. Pray for those that persecute you. Do not slander. Do not quarrel. Live at peace. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you want to show your love for me, if you want me to know how much you love me, then do that. That's what Jesus is telling us. That's a mature understanding of what it means to be a Christian. See, that's the thing about being adults. It's hard. It's easy to be kids. It's hard to be adults. It's hard to make those decisions, those choices. Obedience is a choice. I can talk about obeying. I can say it's a good thing. But it's not obeying until you obey. And that's hard. Especially when people from this pulpit or from within our government say some things and do things or enact laws and legislation in our country that clearly violate God's word. And so the question arises, so what do we do then? Right? Maybe that's the question. What do we do then? I mean, I, I can honor them and speak about them well, and I, I, I can pray for them as we're called to do. But what do I do when there's a law in this country that clearly violates your will? What do we do then? And how I wish there was something written in the scriptures that says, when your leader says this, this is what you say. But there is some clear direction in God's word. And one of those things that we're reminded of is how we are to treat one another. We're also reminded as citizens of the kingdom of God, we should know there is no government on earth that lines up perfectly under the gospel. None. And because our government is one of those governments, it does not line up perfectly under the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we will find ourselves at odds with our government. In fact, the U.S. government recognizes that. If you're a dual citizen, it says you're going to find yourself in some conflict. You're going to, there's going to be the citizenship of your other country is going to demand that you're going to do something that goes against the citizenship of this country. We understand that. 
we're called to be citizens of the kingdom of God first. That is our home. That is our king. He is the one true God of all, not just this church, not just his church, but of everyone. You know, Paul, or Peter and John were in Jerusalem, and they were preaching the gospel. Preaching the gospel after Jesus had died, resurrected, risen back to heaven. They were preaching the gospel in the same town against the same people that had killed him. And those people now were after them. And they brought Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, before this court, and they said, we're told that you're preaching about Jesus. And they said, yes, we are. And they're saying, stop doing that. And Peter and John looked at them and said, we must obey God rather than human beings. We must preach the gospel. Do to us what you will. God forbid if we're ever legislated against in this country that we are no longer to proclaim the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ, that he is risen, that he is the one true king. But if we are, we're commanded to preach the gospel regardless of the consequences. We see that throughout the world today. Men and women around the world who by the government they live under are told not to preach the gospel and they do so. And some, unfortunately many, are killed for that. Peter and John knew exactly what they faced. But their boldness caused this court to sort of like step back for a minute and like, we didn't expect them to be so bold. And so they only flogged them. But sent them out and everybody rejoiced because the gospel was proclaimed. We should always proclaim the gospel. But you know, also, as citizens of this United States, we have an amazing opportunity that is not afforded everyone on this planet wasn't afforded to Peter and John. We have the opportunity to have a voice. As the church, as Christians, we have a voice. We've been given the right, the privilege of voting. Of voting as citizens of the kingdom of God, informed by God's word to cast our ballots as citizens of the kingdom of God not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of all. We're called to have a voice, and we have that right. So I want to encourage you to exercise that right. Do not take it for granted, because not everybody on this planet is given that right. And you and I have that right. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, we should go to the polls. We should write our congressmen, write our senators. We have email, we have text, and we can tweet. We have a voice. You know, we see it in the Old Testament and we see it in the New Testament. There were prophets that called leaders to repent. There were prophets that called our leaders to repent before God. Especially if our leaders profess to be Christian, we need to appeal to God's word. We need to remind them whose they are and under whose authority they serve and for whose benefit they serve, not just for their own. We have been given that right. We can do that. We should have a voice. 
But there's one overarching principle over that voice. And that is that voice should be dripping and oozing and goozing with love. For the sake of the person that we're writing to, for the sake of the person that we're speaking to, we need to speak that truth in love. We need to speak truth. But we need to do it in love. Not in kind, but in love. Seeking their good. Seeking their benefit. Not just our own. That's a right that we have as the church, is to hold our government officials accountable. Because one day they will be held accountable. So we should encourage them to repent. We should encourage them to follow Jesus Christ. For themselves to be loving. But we, in order to do that, we need to speak with love. Not just truth. In love, speak truth. We have a responsibility in this country as the church for the sake of this country and for the sake of the world to speak truth in love. You know, one of the founding fathers of this country, John Adams, said this. He said, we have no government armed with power, capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. The government, the laws of the United States will not confine, will not legislate morality. The laws of the United States will not confine the human spirit and the human will. Only God can do that. It is only God that will make America great again. And it is through the gospel that he does that. And it is our responsibility as citizens of the kingdom of heaven and citizens of the United States to be that conscience here for our leaders and for our country. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the church must be reminded that it's not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. We have a responsibility, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of all, to be obedient citizens of both kingdoms, of both places. We're called to be obedient citizens in response to God's love, in response to Jesus Christ. Paul tells Titus, or Timothy, he says, I urge you then to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. I want to ask you this week, pray for your leaders. Pray for the, the leaders of this country, regardless of what you think about them. Pray for them as God commands his children to do. Pray for them. This week, we want to give you some practical ways to do that, practical ways to care for those in leadership. There's a couple of tables out in the lobby and there's some instruction sheets out there and opportunities for you to show that appreciation that Paul implores us to show. We have thank you notes addressed to specific civil servants in Lyle. And we'd ask if you would take those and write a thank you note to them and then bring them back. I think they're supposed to be back, returned to the lobby by August 11th, so you've got some time. But let them know how thankful you are for their service. It's hard work being a civil servant because we are a very persnickety people. And it's not easy. So we need to do what Paul says. We need to tell them thank you. 
But we also want to write thank you notes to those troops that are giving their lives or laying down their life for our freedom so that we don't take it for granted. We want to say thank you to them. And so we want to encourage you to write some notes thanking the troops and want you to bring them back here. We want to address those to those troops. We want to also prepare care packages. There are items and lists on this sheet that you can provide and bring them back. And then we have organizations that will help send those to the troops to let them know that we are grateful, that we do not take their service for granted that they have a God who cares about them. And there are people here at home that care about them. We want to be obedient citizens. And finally, kids, you can join in on the fun. You can color thank you notes. And maybe some of you adults are really, really good colors and you'd rather color a thank you note. Well, I'm sure you could do that. But we want to be obedient citizens. We want to not take this for granted. We have an amazing responsibility. We have an, an amazing privilege. He says to pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. This is good and pleases God. You, you want to pour out your love on me, Jesus says? Pray for your leaders. Pray for all who are in authority. You really love me? Pray for those people. Not just so that it goes good for you, so that they could come to understand the truth. That they could be saved and come to an understanding of the truth. We pray for them. Because we know what awaits those that do not, that do reject him, that disavow him, that renounce their sonship. We do know what awaits them, and Jesus died, so that wouldn't be so. And so he calls us to lay down our rights, our privileges as citizens of the United States for the sake of those that do not know him, so that they would come to an understanding and a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That is why we are obedient citizens. When we gather here for worship on the weekends, and we sing, I'll follow you anywhere, Lord. I want you to remember what it is that we're committing to. Paul reminds us that when we gather together for worship all around this world, in every place, I want men to pray, men and women to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. Free from anger and free from controversy, raising our hands, not in anger, but in surrender to his will, to his ways. Would you pray with me?